Throughout the month of May, we are exploring our origin story as a Christian church, which means the story of how the early church came to be and how that story of those early Christians influences how we live today as a church. Last week, we spent some time in the first few verses of chapter 2 of Acts, and we heard the story of the Holy Spirit descending upon the disciples, and they all began speaking in different languages and talking with travelers from different places of around the world, and uh, it was such an unusual thing that onlookers said, are these people drunk? Which you'll hear echoed again in the scripture this morning. This is part of our origin story. We are Holy Spirit people. And today our scripture dives even deeper into that origin story and what it means to have the Holy Spirit among us. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show the portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please join me in an attitude of prayer. Holy God, we know that your spirit moved among those early disciples, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would move among us today. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Earlier in my ministry, I had the opportunity to baptize a young man who was 10 or 11 years old in elementary school. He had not been baptized as a baby, even though he was raised in the church He did know what baptism was, and he was also very knowledgeable about Jesus and about the gospel. In fact, he read every single day in his Action Bible, which is the Bible in graphic novel form or comic book form. It's like the comic book version of the Bible. I don't know if you've ever heard of this thing, but it is pretty awesome, and it's especially good for kids, but even as an adult, you can get something out of this comic book version of the Bible. And so this, this young man, uh, he read every day out of this comic book Bible, and he would gladly tell anybody who wanted to know or anybody who would listen about Jesus, about the gospel stories, about these obscure characters from the Old Testament that you and I might have to kind of scratch our head and go, yeah, I guess I remember that one. He knew them all. And so here's this elementary school kid who loves Jesus, 
who loves talking about faith, who loves reading his Bible, who's not afraid to pray out loud, which some adults struggle with, and yet he has not been baptized. He and I had talked about it a few times, but every time he sort of said, no, I'm not, I don't think I'm ready yet. Or he, he would say, maybe, maybe someday. I think he was waiting for the perfect moment. I don't quite know what that moment was, but he was waiting. He was waiting. And so eventually one Sunday, he approached me and he said, Pastor Megan, I think I'm ready to be baptized. And I said, well, that is wonderful. That's fantastic. And I said, we need to talk a little bit about baptism. And so we talked, and and I explained baptism is an outpouring of God's grace. Baptism is being welcomed into the family of Christ. Baptism is a sign of redemption and new life, and it's a -a once-in-a-lifetime kind of experience. And he was so excited. He was so excited. And then I asked him, because I knew that he had been thinking a lot about his baptism before he decided he was ready, I asked him, how would you like to be baptized? And I explained, in general, there were three modes of being baptized. The completely informal way of calling these different modes are the sprinkle method, the pour method, and the dunk method. Now, sprinkling is the most common in a United Methodist church like this that has a baptismal font, and typically the pastor will dip their hand into the water, their hand will have the water in it, and then they'll place the hand on the head of the person who's being baptized. Sometimes, occasionally, a pastor will use a shell or some other kind of vessel to hold the water. Most infant baptisms are done with the sprinkle method because it's just a really practical way to share the water of baptism in a sanctuary setting so that the community of faith can be a part of the baptism. And it's not really about the amount of water that we use anyway. It's about the spirit in which it's received. So that's the sprinkle method of baptism. Now, dunking, of course, is just a really informal way of talking about immersion baptism. You may have seen it on TV. You may have seen one in person, uh, somebody that you love or perhaps even yourself There are some churches that have tanks, swimming pools, built in the front of their sanctuary so that when they're ready to have a baptism, the cross moves to the side and the tank comes forward and whoever's being baptized can jump in the water and be seen by everybody in the the congregation. This is a really cool option, but also sometimes difficult in a a church setting if you don't have the ability to have a swimming pool in in your sanctuary. Although I did visit a church one time in Texas, a United Methodist church that brought out a trough so that they could baptize people by immersion in their worship service. Now, I had always heard people say that when it comes to baptism, Christians can sprinkle, they can dunk, or they can pour. And so I dutifully reported to this young kid that pouring was an option for Baptism. I had never seen it done before personally, but I'd heard about it, and I assumed, sure, you can sprinkle a little bit of water, you can dunk a person under the water, or you can pour the water. Now, at first, this young man said, I would really like to be immersed for my baptism. And the first plan was to take him out to Lake Erie for his baptism. 
And that would have been really cool. I was very excited for him. But after talking with his mom and with, with his grandmother, we identified a couple of problems with this plan, one of them being that the lake was going to be really cold, and that would be a little uncomfortable. The lake also was not extremely clean, uh, so that's another issue. And then also most of the congregation, his church family, would not have been able to be there to witness his baptism, to be part of his baptism. And so that was kind of the final, uh, the final reason that we decided not to do an immersion baptism for him. If we'd gone to the lake, it wouldn't have been able to happen on a Sunday morning as part of the normal worship service. And all these people that he'd grown up with around him in his Christian family would not be able to be part of it. And so he said... I want it to happen during the worship service. In the end, this 10-year-old said to me, I think I want the water for my baptism to be poured. Okay, we're going to pour the water. Now, remember, I said I'd never actually seen this happen myself. And so I'm thinking, i got to figure out how to pour the water in the sanctuary. And I ended up getting one of those kiddie pools. You know the type the big plastic pools that you can buy at Meijer or Target or wherever. And this one was blue, and it had characters from the movie Cars on it. (laughs) Belonged to one of the church members. And at first I thought, well, that's perhaps not the liturgically appropriate image to have on your kiddie pool for a baptism, but you know what? If God can do ministry with me or with you, God can certainly work with a kiddie pool with cars on it. It's going to be okay. We set up this kiddie pool in the chancel area right up front, in front of the altar. I had a pitcher of water ready, like you see on the altar today. And before the actual baptism, this young man took his baptismal vows, and he took them very seriously. And so I asked him, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, repent of the evil powers of this world, and reject the evil that's all around you, and he said, I do. And then I asked, do you accept the freedom and the power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? And he said, I do. And then this third question, do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord? In union with the church, which God has opened to people of all ages, nations and races and you better believe he was so excited to answer that question and to say I do and then he took off his shoes and he stepped inside the kiddie pool and I lifted up this pitcher full of water and as I prayed over him and God baptized him I poured that entire pitcher of water over top of his head and it was so much more water than any of us expected The water of baptism drenched his hair, it drenched his shirt, it drenched the pool, it splashed all over onto the nice new chancel flooring that had oh so recently been installed. The liturgist was practically in the splash zone of this baptism. It was amazing. Water was everywhere. Because when water is poured, it gets messy. It splashes. A similar thing happens when we baptize children out of this baptismal font. If you've seen a baptism here, Pastor Rick will dip his hand in the water, and he uses a lot of water when he baptizes out of the font. And 
by the end, there will be so much water on the baby or the adult who's being baptized, water on the font, water on the floor. There's so much water up here that we can't put the lid back on the font because it's so drenched with the water of baptism. The water of baptism, it can't be contained to our nice little bowl and our nice little pitcher. And you know what we pray every single time we baptize someone in the United Methodist Church? We pray, God, pour out your Holy Spirit. Pour out your Holy Spirit on this water and the one who receives it. You know what we pray every time we take communion in the United Methodist Church? We pray, God, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and of wine. Our sacraments invoke the same power that those early Christians experienced in Acts 2. The Holy Spirit is some powerful stuff. The Holy Spirit poured out. In Acts 2, we're reminded that the Holy Spirit is poured out on men and women equally, on free and slave, equally, on young and old, equally. In our scripture this morning, Peter is quoting from the prophet Joel. Joel is an Old Testament prophet. He's commonly known as one of the 12 minor prophets. It's a very short book of the Bible. And he prophesies that the day of the Lord is coming, which is a day of judgment, a day of repentance, and a day of vision. When Peter quotes Joel, he's giving a new spin to the words. He's kind of updating them for a modern audience. And he's talking to this crowd that has just witnessed the disciples receiving the Holy Spirit. These 12 people from Galilee suddenly are speaking these other languages that they've never heard before, and onlookers are saying to one another, what in the world is going on here? Are these these people drunk? That's the only explanation for their weird behavior. Peter's speech is an explanation to what's happening. He's quoting the prophet Joel to say to everybody who's gathered around wondering, God told us that this kind of thing would happen that the Holy Spirit would be poured out. And so Peter's saying, this is it. This is the moment when the Holy Spirit is poured out. This is what it looks like. It's a little different than what you expected, isn't it? God's promise in verse 17 is this. I will pour out my Spirit on all people. I will pour out my Spirit. That phrase, pour out, is one that we find in almost every English translation of the Bible. The Bible is translated, of course, uh, this section would be Hebrew from the prophet Joel, and sometimes it's difficult to find an English equivalent to a Hebrew word, and so you might find, if you look in the New Revised Standard Version or the New International Version or the Message or the King James, you might find different ways of translating different phrases because they're trying to get at something that maybe doesn't exist in English. In this case, the phrase is exactly the same no matter which translation you turn to, which says to us as readers that this is and a pretty exact equivalent from the Hebrew, pour out, pour out. We pour out water into the baptismal font. We pour out grape juice into the chalices that we use at communion. And when you pour something out, you don't always have a choice in how much you receive. It's not like a well where you can go and draw upon the Holy Spirit and pick up just a cup or so that you need for the day. It's not like a recipe where you can say, okay, Lord, I just need a teaspoon of the Holy Spirit today. That'll get me by. When the Holy Spirit is poured out on us, 
It's a kind of overwhelming experience in which we are drenched with the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit likes to be poured out. That's the preferred mode of travel for the Holy Spirit. And it is overwhelming. It's outside of our control. It's messy. It's chaotic. By virtue of being human beings, we are in the splash zone for the Holy Spirit. It's going to get us one way or another. I preached last week that we are Holy Spirit people. That's part of our origin story. We receive the Holy Spirit and we receive these abilities to talk with people, to build relations with people who are different from us, to go out into the world, to share the gospel, to talk about Jesus with people who've maybe not heard the story before. This passage from Acts 2 reveals another fundamental truth of what it means to be Christian people. If we're Holy Spirit people, that means letting go of a little bit of our own control of what happens next. When the Holy Spirit is poured out, it goes everywhere. We don't get to choose when it happens. We don't get to choose how it happens. We don't get to choose who it happens to. That is God's choice. And instead, we're called to follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, when we give up control, when we follow the Holy Spirit and we're willing to accept whatever God is calling, to, calling us to, we may find ourselves in some unusual situations. We may find ourselves serving meals to the homeless in an area of town that other people will tell us is bad. We may find ourselves attempting to use a hammer on a mission trip when we have no experience in construction. We may find ourselves giving up a week of vacation to go somewhere and do something for the sake of Jesus Christ in the world. In Acts 2, the people found themselves talking with people from Egypt and Samaria and Asia that they may have had nothing in common with before. They didn't even speak the language before. And there will, people, there will be people who will look at us who have not yet bought into the power of the Holy Spirit, and they will say, what in the world are these people doing? What in the world are these people thinking? Are they drunk? Are they on drugs? Why else would they go and talk with strangers? Why else would they give up a week of vacation to do something for the church? Why would they give away their money to the church? Why would they want to stay up early? Or why would they want to get up early or stay up late studying their Bible? Why would they want to do these things? The Holy Spirit pushes us to do things that the world might not see as normal. And if we give in to the Spirit's leading, we may have to give up our own ideas of what comes next and what we should be doing. And it is terrifying, and it is overwhelming, and it's scriptural, and it is so life-giving. To finally be able to say, I don't quite know what God might be doing in my life, but I'm going to try to go in the direction that God is calling me, that can be a breath of fresh air to give up that control, to give up that knowledge, to try and say, I'm just going to give in to the Holy Spirit. And this is part of who we are as Christians. This is our origin story. This is where we come from. When the Holy Spirit is poured out, we're challenged to let go of that piece of control and let the Spirit flow through us and push us to do those uncomfortable, unusual, unexpected things. The young man that I was able to baptize not so long ago, he was clearly full of the Holy Spirit. He was so energized by talking about God, by praying to God, by singing to God. 
A little fun side note here. Every Halloween, he would dress up as a biblical character. And every year, it was a different character. But of course, you know, all those Old Testament prophets, they have long beards. And so it would look very similar every year. And he would say, oh, no, Pastor Megan, this year, this year, I am Methuselah. It was, it was the coolest thing. You wouldn't expect a kid that young to be able to articulate his faith so clearly. You wouldn't expect a kid that young to be so passionate that he's dressing up on Halloween like Bible characters. And yet, here he is. Some might say he's the future of the church, but in fact, he is the current reality of the church. And if we don't listen to people that are filled with the Holy Spirit like he is, we are missing an opportunity to follow God's call. That's what the scripture from Acts 2 promises to us. The Holy Spirit will be poured out on all people. Your sons and your daughters, they're going to prophesy. Your young people will see visions. Your old people will dream dreams. It's so appropriate that this young man's baptismal water was poured out on top of him because the Holy Spirit was clearly poured out in his life. May we all seek to be these kind of people who have the Holy Spirit poured out on them, that are drenched with the power of the Holy Spirit. May that be so for us and for this church. I'd like to end with a word of prayer, if you'll pray, if you'll pray with me. Lord of visions and prophecy, pour out your Holy Spirit on us today that we may see visions of the kind of world that you desire. Pour your Holy Spirit out on this church, that we may dream of what is possible through Jesus Christ our Lord. Pour out your Holy Spirit on the United Methodist denomination, that we may preach the love of Jesus Christ, and may we bring hope where there is despair. Pour out your Holy Spirit on our world, that we may work toward peace with one another. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us here today that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Pour out your Holy Spirit, Lord. Pour out your Holy Spirit. Amen.